we're up to, and we'll recite it together. But uh, if you've got your Bibles open, just kind of, you know, look away, and you'll be glancing through the notes, desperately trying to find the Lord's Prayer written there somewhere, and you'll find that it isn't. Ha ha. I thought of that. Aha. Um, but what I have given you are the, uh, the headings that we're going to be looking at over the coming weeks, some of which we've already done. Father's character, kingdom, provision, forgiveness, protection. So they're your hint, they're your clue. Okay, so here we go. The Lord's Prayer is this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts or sins as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Brilliant. Don't worry that some of us got some of the words this way, sin, debt, whatever, transgressions. It's okay. There's different kind of translations going around in our heads there. That's okay. Well done. Well done. Keep going. If that's still new to you, if you're still finding your feet in that, be encouraged and keep at it. It'll be helpful. It's like having something in your back pocket so you're ready, equipped to pray at any moment in any setting. So today we're going to focus on the second of those headings. We're going to look at the Father's kingdom. We're going to look at asking, what it means to ask God. We're going to look at the kingdom, the when, the what, the how, and the where of the kingdom of God. And we're going to look, I trust, at just stirring faith amongst us as we open up this passage. So, Heavenly Father, we give you this time, and we ask you, by your Holy Spirit, to teach us, to guide us, to reveal things to us. Would you impart faith to us, as you have been already this morning, for the things we need to pray about, for the things on your heart that you want us to relay in prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. And would this morning contribute towards that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Recently, I've um, been reading a, a book uh, about a revival it's uh, really referred to as the second great awakening. The great awakening is often referred to as a revival that swept through in the 18th century. But in the 19th century, particularly in 1857 to 59, a two-year period, just in the latter half of that century, uh, again, another revival swept through North America, the US states and Canada, came over to Ulster, uh, Northern Ireland, spread through to Scotland, came also to Wales, spread through to England. So as a result, over those two years and maybe just a few years beyond, particularly in England, it's estimated that two million people were added to the kingdom of God by faith in Christ. Two million. That's when the US population is about 30 million. The, the, the British Isles, or the United Kingdom bit of it, as we know it now, at least was about 27 million. A massive proportion, proportion of those two land masses came to Christ in faith in a very short period of time. And really the thesis of the book is saying that it should be referred to as the second great awakening because it had as much an effect as the first one. The thesis really is that over the next 50 years, leading right up to the First World War, the effectiveness of the church to grow and increase was really because of the foundations laid in these two years. 
the Welsh revival of 1905 really was a product, a son of this second great awakening. I've been so uh, enthralled reading some of the accounts of it, uh, some of its traits, because every revival has slightly different characteristics. This one was was really not centred around an individual. There was no leader as such that came to prominence. There was no uh, group of very effective evangelists. Maybe they came a bit later. But in these early days, really, it was just a movement, spontaneous of God, uh, using all sorts of people. It was all sorts of denominations coming together. And often, it was around prayer. Prayer was a massive component. You say, well, we wouldn't be surprised at that. Surely revivals always have a prayer story in there. But this one particularly, it seemed that just prayer meetings bloomed everywhere. And, uh, and, and thousands were gathering daily, weekly, to prayer at lunchtimes, early morning, in the evenings. And it was across all the divisions of Christianity, at least a Protestant form of it. And people came to the prayer meetings wanting God. Unbelievers were coming. They had inquirers meetings at the end of the prayer meetings, like little mini alpha courses, if you like, of the day, just to cope with all these people that were crying out for grace and mercy, having been convicted of their sins. And I just felt, well, I'll read you a little bit. It's okay, isn't it? It's okay. And really, this is often heralded as the start of it. How did it all get going? I mean, maybe we won't really know, but here we go. This is the analysis that's been done. On July the 1st, 1857, a quiet and zealous businessman named Jeremiah Lanfear took up an appointment as a city missionary in downtown New York. Burdened by the need, Jeremiah Lanfear decided to invite others to join him in a noonday prayer meeting to be held once a week on a Wednesday. And you get his little leaflet and he sends it round. He puts his posters up because that's what you do then. He didn't have the internet and all the rest of it. And the story goes, on September the 23rd, 1857, the door opened for his first prayer meeting. And for the first half an hour, he was just there on his own, uh, praying. But by the second half hour, six had gathered. A week later, 20 had gathered. A week later, on the 7th of October, 40 came. Within six months, 10,000 businessmen were gathering daily for prayer in New York. And within two years, this is the shortened version, a million converts had been added to the American churches. Wow. It spread through Ulster, as I say, and other parts of the UK. I just want to read you this little extract from Handley Mole, who later went on to become a bishop, a bishop uh, just talking about his impressions of the, of the revival as it hit his little pocket of Dorset, his little village uh, and where he was converted. I must not close without a memory, however meagre, of one wonderful epoch in the parish. It was the revival. The year was 1859, that year of the right hand of the Most High. Ulster was profoundly and lastingly moved and blessed. Here and there in England, it was the same. And Fordington, that must have been his little village, was one of the scenes of divine awakening. For surely it was divine. No artificial means of excitement were dreamt of. My father's whole genius was against it. No powerful personality, no moody, no aching came to us. A city missionary and the London Bible woman were the only helpers from the distance. But a power, not of man, brought souls to ask the old questions. What must I do to be saved? Up and down the village, the pastor, the pastoress and their faithful helpers, as they went their daily rounds, found the anxious. And the church was thronged to overflowing, and so was the spacious schoolroom, night after night, throughout the week. The very simplest means carried with them a heavenly power. 
The plain reading of a chapter often conveyed the call of God to men and women, and they came to Jesus as they were. I do not think I exaggerate when I say that hundreds of people at that time were awakened, awed, made conscious of eternal realities, and a goodly number of these showed in all their afterlife that they were indeed new creatures, born again to a living hope and to a steadfast walk. A great social uplifting, wholesome and permanent, followed the revival. And you get an account in this book of that as someone very diligently, possibly the only person, has kind of put these things together. And in conclusion, he really says that the first phase of this revival of religion followed an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, clearly manifested in a remarkable movement of prayer and the attendant conviction of sin. He said the second phase, yes, did launch, if you like, these evangelists that went out also very effectively. And the third phase, again, at the turn of the 20th century, like the first, another outpouring of the spirit of prayer and its conviction of sin. The effects were seen in the sharpest focus in the Welsh revival of 1905. There you go. I'll just give you a little snippet. I found it quite exciting. If you want to find out about the book, you can just about get copies of it somewhere around. Prayer is relational. We've learned something about that already. But it's more than about relationship with God. Prayer is about asking God for things. And asking God for things is powerful. Things change. History is made when the sons and daughters of the king come to their father and ask him. You believe it. Prayer is powerful when we're asking the Father. And there's some evidence for it. I could give you some biblical evidence. We could go back to passages like Moses when he held his arms aloft in prayer. The Israelite army was winning. And when his arms drooped out of tiredness, the army started to lose. So they gathered around him and held up his arms. Direct link between the prayers of mankind and the activity of God and the victory of his people. This historic evidence, I've given you a little taste of it. I could tell you more about the Berlin Wall and it's coming down. It's reported that there were uh, prayer meetings in the city of Leipzig particularly where thousands were gathering to pray for an end of communism and the reunification of Germany. And on the very night in November 1989, if you remember it, if you were alive then, When the wall did come down, it was estimated that 300,000 people were praying in Leipzig together. A communist official in an unguarded moment with a journalist the next day said, we were prepared for everything, but not for prayer. We're hearing about Zimbabwe changing. One day we'll get the history and we'll discover, lo and behold, there was prayer. There was prayer. There was prayer. We love having testimonies, don't we? On a Sunday, it's part of the culture of this church. Put your hand up if God has ever answered a prayer for you. Don't have to put your hand up. But if, God, if you can identify a prayer God's answered, look at that, across the room. We know it to be true. We need, though, however, to ask God. You might think, well, God's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. Surely we don't need to ask. He can just step in. He can do that, surely. And he can, however... As we read through the the account and the word of God, it seems that God has designed it such that when humans work in partnership with God, his will and his power is unleashed 
on our planet. So we need to ask God. A few quotes, Phil Hughes. Prayer is stressed over and over again in the New Testament as a vital prerequisite for the release and experience of God's power. A prerequisite. Andrew Murray. It is though the promises are waiting for prayer for their fulfillment. We may and most and uh, must most confidently expect an answer to our prayer. Jesus said, ask and it will be given you. But more complicated than that. Because our father is better than the best earthly dad you can imagine. In his love and his grace, it is generosity and his ability to answer our prayers. Bartimaeus fought his way through the crowd to get to Jesus. And then he met Jesus. And Jesus said, what can I do for you, Bartimaeus? Bartimaeus said, can you heal my eyes? So he did. What can I do for you? Is still the question God has asked of us. We're to ask him. And he will answer for his glory and for his fame. I've just been uh, reflecting a bit more on this Lord's Prayer. And yeah, it's all about asking, particularly in this bit we've got to now, about your kingdom. And then we've got bread and forgiveness and other things to ask for. But I was conscious also that this prayer is punctuated with praise. If you like, I refer it to uh, a Big Mac. A Big Mac, if you remember those, if you've had one recently, it's got layers of bread, not just at the end, but in the middle, as well as the kind of filling. And imagine that bread is the praise. The Lord's Prayer starts with praise. Our Father in heaven. That's where we are. And it ends with praise. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. But right at the heart of the prayer, again, is a, is a, a punctuation of praise on earth as it is in heaven. There it is. As it is in heaven. So it's just to fuel your prayer life, just to remind you that petition and praise are symbiotic. They fuel one another. And if you're flagging in the petitions, then return to the praise. And you'll go again in the petition and return to praise. They kind of just go on like that. But today we're looking, as I say, at the first kind of petitions. Asking is instinctive. In prayer, but we need to be shaped and instructed by the prayer Jesus taught us. We need to start where he told us to start. And he tells us to start our requests with the God-focused ones, then the us-focused ones. Three of each, in fact. We're to start by asking for the Father's name to be honoured, his kingdom to come, and for his will to be done. We're like all under that banner on earth as it is in heaven. And then we can pray for the us-focused stuff of provision, forgiveness, and protection. So what are we doing when we're praying your kingdom come? Well, to start with, I'll just give you some definitions that others have penned, and hopefully they're of some help to us. John Stott, the kingdom of God is his royal rule. John Hosier, it's God's will being expressed. Tim Keller, it's the public display of his ruling power. You see, when John, ba the John the Baptizer and Jesus spring up from our Gospels, 
They proclaim the kingdom of God is near. Yet they don't really go on, at least immediately, to define it, to explain it. But the crowds gather. The Jewish crowds come because this resonates with a a long-held hope and an expectation fueled by the pages of our Old Testament pregnant over the 400 years of prophetic silence since Malachi. Yes, the hope that we've been longing for. Two great articulations of it, really. Just to highlight to you, I won't go into them. I haven't got time, really. But Psalm 145, 10 to 13, this is where David expresses this expectation of a glorious, splendid, and now everlasting kingdom. Something different from what he could conceive, however great his kingdom was. And lo and behold, it will come from one from his line, from his lineage. And then you get in Daniel 2, verse 44, where Daniel interprets the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar has. This this dream of the statue. And there are various kingdoms that will come and go. But Daniel prophesies that there will be an all-conquering an indestructible and enduring kingdom of God that will be established on earth. The rest will come and go, but this will stay. I just think of the word itself, kingdom. I mean, what does it mean? It means, I guess, the authority and sovereignty of, of a king. Um, and we know a little bit about monarchy, but even as Brits, we get a little bit fooled into what it really means. Because although we're called the United Kingdom, it's probably true that we're more like a republic, uh, actually, than, uh, than it may first appear. The Queen has got some powers, apparently. I'm told she has ten areas of authority. Uh, one of them is, if in an election it's a dead heat, she gets a casting vote. Now, that's a bit unlikely, isn't it? Can you imagine (laughs) Brexit was even tighter and it was like 16 and a half million exactly and 16 and a half million on the Queen had to kind of, you know, would it really have happened? I don't know. But in theory, she has that casting vote. But in a kingdom, really, one person rules and their rule is complete and absolute. Of course, when it comes to our God, he is a king. But he's the servant king. He is the warrior king, but he is the shepherd king. We, it blows our mind. We can't think of this. It sounds like bad news, but it's good news when God is our king. So the kingdom of God really speaks of his reign and his rule and all the things that come under his governance. And I guess that is what we're praying for. So we're going to look at the when, where, what, and how of the kingdom because I think it just helps us to break it down like this as we pray, to know how to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Firstly, the when of the kingdom. The kingdom of God operates in different tents. I'm not talking about ridge tents, frame tents, and pop-up tents. I'm talking about tenses as in past, present, and future. The kingdom has come. Past. Jesus came and was amongst mankind. He was then the one person of the kingdom of God on earth. He represented it. He was the kingdom. He, he said, the kingdom is amongst you, is within your midst. He was talking about himself in Luke chapter 17. So the kingdom has come. It's been inaugurated. It's started. We're off. But the kingdom is to come. It's a future tense Jesus is coming back, we now know. 
and the kingdom will be fulfilled and there will be a new heaven and a new earth and the kingdom will be expressed fully and perfectly and eternally. Revelation tells us there will be no death, no crying, no pain, absolutely opposite. Jesus will be king in the fullest sense. Everyone who is there will be in submission to him gladly, willingly, joyfully. It will be obvious to all in the kingdom and any other authority will be destroyed. So it's to come. That's what we're praying into for that to be uh, increased in the present until that fullness comes. So the kingdom is coming. The kingdom of God is expressed and advances through the church. The church isn't just, the, the kingdom of God isn't confined to just the church, but we are the kingdom's agent through the earth. But we know in this time, in this overlapping period of kingdoms, that there are frustrations, there are limitations. The kingdom has come, but it is yet to fully come. But the kingdom is coming and breaks out amongst us. But even for Jesus, there were limitations. Those he healed, those he raised from the dead, the storms he calmed, they returned. Lazarus died again. There was a limit even then for Jesus, as there is for us. Recently, I've been looking through the uh, parables. I just thought I'd glance through them, flick through the, uh, the various Gospels and count up how many parables there are. And I might have got this wrong because it's a bit of a rough and ready count and I was trying to dedupe them as well. I, I counted about 24, 24 parables that Jesus left us. And uh, at least 16 of them were explicitly in reference to the kingdom of God. And probably all of them were about the kingdom of God, but just implicitly. And I think part of the reason why we have so many of them is actually for us, the church, God's people, to help us live and pray during this period of time where the kingdom's come and is to come. It's to help us to pray with faith, but to pray with an understanding of the times we're in, this in-between period. So, for example, you might remember the one about the different soils. The seed is scattered, but the soil responds differently. The seed grows in some places, but not in others. There's going to be a variety of responses. Some will come into the kingdom in response, and some won't. Some look like they will, but they, maybe they hadn't. Some do, but they kind of don't go on to display the characteristics of the kingdom. Others go on and impart the kingdom to others productively and effectively. Remember the one about the wheat and the weeds all growing together. They are oh, no, chaos. But no, no, the kingdom's like that. The kingdom of God is growing amongst the kingdom of darkness. You can't put a border around it like you can on, the, on a map. It's, it's more complex than that. It's amongst, it's within. The kingdom of God is here and not there. It's to grow together somehow. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, we're told. God's kingdom will grow from the smallest of tiniest seeds, which apparently the mustard seed is. Like Jesus, he came, just one man. The kingdom of God on earth. But it will grow, and it will grow, and it will fill the earth, and it will be the biggest plant in the garden. Like the sleepy farmer parable. Whether the farmer's awake doing stuff, on his farm, or whether he's asleep, 
The stuff will grow. The kingdom will grow. Whether we're in it or out of it, whether we're active or inactive, God will ensure that his kingdom will grow. And it goes on. You can look at the parables. They help us, actually, when we pray with expectation, but also with understanding. It's a little bit like, I was reminded of this recently, the Chilean mining disaster. Do you remember back in 2010, I think it was, 33, was it? Chilean miners was trapped 700 meters down in the ground, in the mines, and they weren't able to get out. I'm told for 17 days, there was no contact, assumed dead, assumed lost. They must have felt that's it. But eventually, believe, unbelievably, a drill bit came into their cave and contact was made. And then there were supplies going up and down the chute, if you like. They've been saved. Yet, it was still 52 days before they came above ground. They were in that place. It was still dark. And there was still frustration. And there was still limit. I guess that can help us understand our times. And that helps us to pray. So, we need to pray also into the what of the kingdom of God. In essence, we're praying for people when we're praying, your kingdom come. We're praying that people will be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. There's only two kingdoms. There's only two. We're praying that people would submit to the name. That they would submit to the rule and the will of Jesus Christ. When Jesus healed somebody, he said to them in Matthew 12, the kingdom of God has come upon you. And we're praying for the kingdom of God to come upon people. We're praying also for people to be transformed. We're praying for those who are in the kingdom to be radically changed, that their lifestyle, their community life, that is us as church, would be radically different. And there are a couple of verses, I've pulled them out here, that help us understand something of this in the New Testament letters. 1 Corinthians 4, 20. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. The root word there... we often relate to dynamite, but of course dynamite wasn't invented back then. It's about the power to change. Dunamis, the power to transform. Personal transformation. That we now can live out this Sermon on the Mount, where the, the prayer is embedded, by the way. That the Beatitudes become us. That we fulfill the standards that Jesus lays out there by his grace, by his spirit, by the transforming power of the kingdom in our lives. And then Romans 14, 7, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, if you like, rules and regulations. It's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we're to pray that our lifestyles reflect righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Pick any topic. And these are the characteristics we want to see so that the kingdom of God is displayed to the world around us. Money, for example. We're to pray that we're to handle money righteously. Truthful tax returns and insurance claims. We want to pray peace in our money life and our finances. That we are content with God's provision. That we are trusting him for the future. We want to be praying joy into our money and our finances. That we give with generosity and cheerfulness, not out of duty and gritted teeth. We're to pray into the what of the kingdom transfer and transformation and we're to pray into the how of the kingdom how 
how does the kingdom advance? Well, it advances through words, through works, and through wonders. It's not just well-crafted persuasion, although that can be helpful, but it's words that are anointed by the Holy Spirit that will bring the kingdom. 1 Thessalonians 1.5, our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. So we've got to pray. We've got to pray for our words and one another's words and our wisdom and the welly as well behind it to grab hold of the opportunities, to see God's help in those moments when we have to speak of his kingdom. So let's pray. Let's pray for the things that are going on now in the life of this church. What was it, Quincy? A dozen uh, alpha, 11, call it a dozen, baker's dozen, round it down, uh, 11 on the alpha who who are guests, who are searching. Let's pray for them. Let's pray for the youth alpha that Quincy's also running at the hub, the Christian Union at Oxted School. Let's pray for Criss Cross this summer holidays for the 5 to 11s. We want to see a doubling. Claire's preparing rather than for up to 80, which we had last time, for 150 children. Let's pray for God's anointing on what's spoken, what's articulated, what's said, that the seeds of the kingdom will bear fruit in all of these lives. We want to pray for the works of the kingdom. Social action is part of the outworking of the kingdom of God in extending his rule on earth right now. And alongside that, the words can help make sure it's not just simply welfare that we're doing. It's welfare with kingdom announcement and pronouncement. Because the kingdom is a place of no sickness and no poverty and no hunger. And as we contribute to those things now, we're giving people a foretaste and pointing towards the kingdom that is to come. So let's pray and keep praying for our super six are serving the community initiatives. We had, was it Sarah, 15 on the parenting course, and you had to turn away, what, another half dozen who wanted to come to that. People in our community who want the church's help with their parenting skills. Let's pray for the kingdom to come to them. We're entering the third year, just celebrated their second birthday, of the Baby Cafe. 200 different families have come through the Baby Cafe and touched something of what we're about. We want another 100, the third 100 this year. And we want something of the kingdom deposit to go with them. Let's pray for the seven homeless people that were at our centre last night and have been doing the rounds of the other locations. That something in all that of the kingdom would be imparted to them. For the school readers that are going so well, the school's reporting, aren't they, Quince, that uh, the kids' reading ability has dramatically improved. They've measured it as you've gone in and supported them. Let's pray for those opportunities to display something of the kingdom, to entice people into the kingdom. And, of course, wonders Many came to Jesus because of the miracles and the first recorded prayer meeting of the church in Acts 4. They were praying for miracles. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Let's keep praying for the sick amongst us. I know there's a number of you who are picking up booklets today to keep praying for Arwen and others amongst us who are sick. We will not give up. We will persevere. We will be persistent. And expect the kingdom of God to be displayed in their lives. And we need to pray into the where of the kingdom. You can read that bit 
on your own, I'm sure, just really looking at different situations we're involved in. You can pray for your, you know, close situation, your family and church, the things you're involved in at work, at school, clubs, neighbourhood, the things you know about, the things on the bigger scale, the world issues, the things going on in the uh, world. But I just want to bring this as a final plea, really. Praying the Lord's Prayer also brings a personal challenge to us, to our own life. We can't, I don't think, really pray, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, without at some point God's spirit just coming to our hearts with the question, are you? Are you honoring my name? How are you seeking my kingdom? Are you submitting to my will? And so before we start praying for our daily bread and forgiveness and protection, oh yes, there's something right here for me, right now. You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus, in his anguished moment, prayed, take this cup from me, take this cup of wrath, this this horror that the cross is going to involve, yet he ended that prayer, not my will but yours be done. And yes, of course, in part, he was, he was anticipating the excruciating pain physically of the cross and all that would mean, of course. But more than that, he knew that he, the sinless one, would become sin for us. He knew that he would be, in that moment, separated from the Father for us. Take this cup, yet not my will. I think Jesus has gone there before us. I think he's given us everything we need by way of strength to bend our knee. We come to prayer, don't we, often thinking about our name, our our, our little empire, our wills. And our God wants us to get to the place of submission, of surrender to the king. Of saying, it's all about you. Take control of my life. Have your way with me. And then we can be ruthless. As the Sermon on the Mount demands us to be. Ruthless with the things we've done wrong. Ruthless with the things that are entangling us. And fully committed to coming again to the Father for his grace and his strength. Remembering as we have been this morning who we are now. Sons. Daughters of God, should that give us such an encouragement in prayer? We're not coming to the throne room of God, creeping around the back walls. As Quincy shared last week, we're like the daughter of the president. We're coming bursting into the Oval Office. Didn't have to make an appointment. Didn't have to put it in the calendar. Didn't have to wait to be invited. We're coming in. We're a son. We're a daughter of him. We can ask for these things. You know, the father has promised it all anyway to the son. I'll give you the nations, he said. Your kingdom, Jesus, will have everybody from every sector of society, from every ethnic and language group. We're pushing an open door, people. This isn't hard for us. We're praying for his promises, his kingdom, as, as the father has commissioned. Thank you. Thank you, Lord.